Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for, I suppose, the uh, condensed format of the new podcast as we transition into semi-off-season activities. We still have the Jersey flag in the NRLW live, but NRL and New South Wales Cup wrapping up. So joining me to discuss all that and beyond are my good mates, 60s and Clint. Fellas, good to have you on board. Well, look, it's good to be here, mate. Yes, we do have it condensed into the one podcast per week right now. Obviously, we'll play that by year because if we get uh, a team into the grand final with the Jersey flag, we'll look at giving them a dedicated preview podcast but at the moment this is a combination news and previews podcast and looking forward to the absolute wealth of topics to talk about tonight. Quentin how are you shaping up for this one mate? Um, coming off um, a very very uh, I guess mixed weekend in terms of um, uh, not not in terms of results because it was a clean sweep, which we'll we'll get into. But um, yeah, it's certainly mixed sentiments and feelings towards those results. So yeah, it's it's a funny one. It's weird being in August and and saying the NRL season is done for us. But um, you no, know, not for other sides and not for our juniors. And yeah, we'll we'll unpack that further as we get into this podcast. And before any unpacking can be done, a quick shout out to the sponsors of the show: Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Rowan, and Parramatta helping us get each, or I suppose I was going to say each of the three shows out every week, but now it's going to probably be down to just the one show a week. Alrighty. And on that note, with a bit of a pregnant pause there, let's get right into it. News team, assemble! Okay, fellas, there's a couple of things I do want to talk about before we get into some of the football. Uh, first of all, last Friday night, there was the ceremony that uh, marked the amalgamation of Dural Country Club with Parramatta Leagues Club. And there was the uh, official handover uh, from the Dural Country Club um, chairman through to the uh, Eels uh, chairman. And it was, uh, was certainly a well-attended event that was held up at Dural. It was um, uh, quite a lot of people that were there, uh, both Dural members and uh, Parramatta Leagues Club members. Uh, a lot of positivity about the place. Seems to be a great reception by the locals for the for the uh, Parramatta Leagues Club taking over the uh, Dural Country Club venue because they were in a, a little bit of dire straits in terms of uh, what the COVID and the economy in general had had. Uh, inflicted upon the club and they're able to continue functioning. I believe they'll probably be called the Dural Club or something like that. But uh, as I said, it was a very positive evening and uh, a couple of legend players that were there. Muggo, John Muggleton, David Lydiard was there and also uh, Mark Laurie. And the other thing I want to mention is the Kenthorne Net Medal is being held tonight. That's the Eels' official presentation evening. 
Now, we normally that is, well, in the past, it's been uh, something where you could buy a ticket to attend. Uh, these days, it's invitation only. So unlike previous years, we can't bring you a live blog of the award winners as they happen. But what we'll do at the end of this podcast is we will bring you a list of the award winners for the night, including, of course, the big award for the medal itself. Okay, so moving on, fellas. Uh, the bit of news is uh, that's coming up this week is that Jack Murchie, after just one season with the Parramatta Eels, has been released to take up a three-year deal overseas. Uh, your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, it, it's a shame it didn't work because on paper, Murchie had all the makings of a good fit for the Parramatta Eels. Had a relatively solid season with the Warriors last year. Had a bit of versatility, but then be able to play edge and middle, or at least in a lock forward role. Uh, but yeah, just it, it never really translated. I know he had a good preseason, but just couldn't find his feet on the actual field itself. And disappointing to see it not work, but glad that both parties were able to get a clean split and move apart their separate ways. Parramatta Eels now get another roster spot open. Uh, you know, they're going to have to make that work. I don't think Mooch was on exactly you know, a world of coin. Uh, but whether that means getting a young kid in or finding a good value signing elsewhere, I don't know. But, yeah, a bit of a roster flexibility now. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Clint? Yeah, John and I have spoken about Jack a few times over the course of the season, and you know, I, I can't help but echo his sentiments on this one. Jack was someone that we really, really wanted to see work. I think, you know, um, again, just going back to the conversations John and I had about him over, over, the, um, over the course of the season, you know, we, we also felt that if he were to stay on, that he was someone that might benefit from another preseason and um, that there was absolutely a player and a prototype to work there. But, you know, given his age, um, you know, an, another season in reserve grade would damage his chances of securing a contract overseas. Uh, likewise, he's at a point in his own development where, you know, um, he wants to be playing regular senior football and it makes sense um if that opportunity isn't presenting itself in the NRL to, to try your hand in the Super League while you still qualify for a contract over there, um, given that you have to play a minimum number of NRL games over a course of two seasons. And um, and likewise, as, as John just alluded to, it's uh, it opens up the all-too-valuable all roster spot, which in terms of balancing out our squad for 2024 and beyond is, um, is something quite valuable to our club at this point in time. So it'd be interesting to see how um, that spot is utilised. Obviously, we've spoken over the last couple of weeks about the need for outside backs. Um, you know, that's not new news to anyone listening um, and and any ill supporter for that matter. But um, wish Jack um, uh, all the best. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's a shame it didn't quite work out the way that we all wanted to, but you know, he seemed like a good guy and a good team player and um, I hope he kills it over in the Super League. I, I believe it's Huddersfield he's rumoured to be going to. So yeah, the Giants. You know, hopefully he does, um, does well for the Giants over there. Okay, moving on, fellas. After last weekend, I, I did have a general question that I put out on social media, uh, which was, who's your daddy? <laughs> because, for, <laughs> because for the second time this season, the Eels had a clean sweep of the Panthers across all three grades. So that means that, um, yeah, the only only six games to feature uh, the Eels and the Panthers in senior football, all of the results went the Eels' way this year. Now, I do want to say at this point, I put that out on social media, obviously with a bit of tongue-in-cheek there because any supporter in their right mind is going to take the 
um, having the first grade team in finals football well ahead of getting victories <laughs> during the regular round. But somehow, somehow, there, there were people who took that as being serious. <laughs> and, I mean, it never, it never fails to amaze me, the, um, the, the fact that there are uh, people that couldn't see that, even with the way that the uh, social media was worded, which even said the Panthers are, are likely to be in the, the box seat for getting a premiership three-peat, which is historical stuff. So even with that listed as the as the opener uh, yeah anyway so it for <laughs> now for now we just got to take what we can get and all that we got out of this season is the fact that the panthers who were defending premiers in actually not just the three senior grades but also the sg ball were uh beaten uh this season uh by um by the Eels, although I think the SG Ball might have lost a regular round match to the Panthers, but they the Eels SG Ball ended up winning the title. Um, but yeah, it I'm that's if that's all we can get, that's all we can get this season. <laughs> and, there, and there was a sense of joy about getting those victories. Uh, although of course the last laugh is with the Panthers who march onward towards maybe making some history this year. Um, still, you enjoy it this weekend, Clint. Uh, absolutely, and I, and I and I dare say, um, you know, maybe, maybe a post edit of um, of of this pod, we could get the Arnold Schwarzenegger soundbite in there from Kindergarten Cop of uh, "Who's your daddy and what does he do?" Um, <laughs> his, his name's the Parramatta Eels, and he beats the Penrith Panthers. Uh, <laughs> that's the answer. Um, you know, uh, it, it it was um, it was. It's always satisfying, but at the same time, equally frustrating from an NRL perspective on on Thursday night last week because you, know, you, you couldn't help but think, obviously, we we're playing without um, any pressure anymore, and the boys kind of let the ball sing and, and passes were sticking, and you know, um, there was an opportunity to, to try something different with the um, with the run on side and the rotations, and you know, I thought all of that was managed quite well. Um, and, you know, and, and possibly a hint into some um, strategic play moving forward. Um, but yeah, you know, it's you 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 always um, you always smile on 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 a win, regardless of the circumstances. Um, you know, it's just frustrating that you know when you consider our football over the last six six to eight weeks that that performance then came out against um, you know the, the the team that has um, for for the better part of three seasons now been been the best in the competition and and haven't really looked like letting up since that point. So, you know, it kind of makes you wonder what if and what could have been. But uh, nevertheless, um, as it stands for season twenty twenty three, it's it's probably the, um, the 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 I guess silver lining on on the season that you know if Penrith were to go on and, and have the three peat, we can say yeah, but they didn't beat us. John, a question for you. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think it is that the Eels have had more success against the Panthers, albeit in regular rounds, not finals football, but why have we had more success against the Panthers in these regular rounds than any other club? Well, up until last round, I would have said that not the sole reason, but a very significant reason was Mitchell Moses and his ability to clear the ball and, and turn tilted field, uh, field position battles into an even battle. Uh, but there was no Mitchell Moses on, well, I say the weekend, but on Thursday night. Uh, the Eels had to do a foul. And 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think on a couple of factors, um, you know, we've, we've got the forward pack to really rumble with them. Um, Penrith's pack, obviously, very good, but their back three also outstanding in terms of the yardage and the meterage. So our pack can definitely go toe-to-toe there. Uh, and we've talked about it in the past, boys, but the way we attack, um, we're probably the best team at transitioning between structured and unstructured football in the competition. Um, sometimes it can be to our detriment when we try and force offloads, but when we're you know, getting the ball to sing, like Quint said so beautifully, uh, we are very, very difficult to contain. And we saw that with uh, you know Eels going in and out of structures, uh, causing all sorts of problems for the Penrith edges. Gufferson and Brown really at home there, uh, making the you know, the ball find the, find his way to Sevo and whatnot. Um, and I thought we also threw a couple of different looks at him in terms of our structured stuff. That first try, uh, we had Guffer going into first receiver, uh, playing out to Dylan Brown as the fullback, and he got to use his speed and then the ridiculous uh, flick pass he got back to Sevo to create the, uh, well, not the overlap, but the, the opportunity back on the inside there. So, yeah, uh, Parramatta just, I think, yeah, that their ability to attack from different sort of angles like the compared to conventional off- offences. And then, you know, defensively when we're actually locked in, we're a pretty good team. And we hadn't seen that for a, a good portion of the season, but we saw it against Penrith. Yeah, and just on that, Clint, when it comes to defence, I've had it suggested, uh, seen it out there, that maybe we match up well and can contain Penrith reasonably well from a defence perspective because the Panthers' outside backs aren't necessarily uh, super fast, super flashy, which uh, assists our defensive structures because, you know, we may not necessarily possess ultra-fast backs ourselves and, and it's a little bit harder to for the Panthers to get around the outside of the Eels uh, without having any of that extreme pace existing in their outside backs. Do you think there's any validity in that from a defensive perspective? I mean, it certainly helps and assists us because, you know, you, when you consider the um, the, the defensive line and, and, and the lateral movement of all, all our individual players in the defensive line, if you're not having to re- react half a second faster or, um, you know, um, ha- have, have someone moving that half a second faster as they come into you, of course it helps. You know, rugby league's a game of inches, to, to, to quote any given Sunday. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's, um, it's that, 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 that's the single point of failure for Penrith in trying to beat us. Um, but it certainly helps our cause that that's the case. Um, you know, but um, I, I also don't think it should be underestimated that there's um, a strong mental element to this. And, and, and that mental element, you know, it, it, it's certainly not something that's plagued us for the past few seasons. It's kind of, um, and I won't necessarily say that it, it was a contributing factor to our season this season, maybe, maybe even some of our later, uh, later results towards the, the, the back months, the two months of the season. But, um, you know, we, we've never had a problem um, um, with the caveat of, of, of probably the last six to eight weeks getting up for big opposition. You know, um, and I, I think that there's a, a sense of personal pride that probably exists within the club. And, and, and likewise, you know, for a lot of these boys who um, went out, um, went down to the Panthers in the grand final last year, you want to go out and make a point against the uh, against a side like that. So, you know, the combination of us having no pressure and you know, wanting to wanting to have um, finished the season on a high and. And all of those other little elements, I think, are equally just as important. You know, obviously, you know, 
getting back to your original question, yeah, look, there's 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 some physical matchups that that um are sort of neutralized, um and 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 some that work in our favor in there uh in, in the head to head there, um but yeah, look, I don't I don't I don't think it's exclusively that. I think it's I think that's an element of it um with a couple of other things at play as well. Okay, and just now looking back at the match itself, something that I did want to highlight because it's since come out that he's heading for about three months of rehabilitation. But, John, the the courage and the, um, oh, I don't know, the just the, the general toughness of Clint Gutherson to battle through for a number of weeks his knee injury and then to be on the field as long as he was last Friday. And dominate. And dominate. Just to play it. To, to play such a, yep, a dominating role in the game. And literally at the end, when you saw him trying to knock his kneecap into place to continue on when he, and when he literally did only have one leg to run on, where he was, he was hopping on one leg and attempting to stop a try. Um, I mean, what, what more can you say about the captain? Yeah. The only knock there ever has been on Quentin Gufferson in his capacity as a fullback is the speed. I mean, that, that is the only thing that kept, has kept him from being considered the NRL's best fullback, in my opinion. Um, his defensive work, his off-the-ball support play, you know, he, his you know, general IQ at fullback, he is at the top or close to the very top in each of those fields. It's just been a lack of elite pace that has held him back from being the best. And we saw every part of that against Penrith on the weekend, oh, again on the weekend on Thursday. Um, you know, his ability to, to create, to be the... Um, you know, the bastion at the back to lead the team around the park. Even the uh, the big verbal sparring he gave the, the match official about some of the calls they made. Um, you know, all of that, well, in, in particular that call for the Sean Russell, quote-unquote, knock-on from uh, trying to get the ball back in the field of play. But, yeah, Guffer was just outstanding. And, look, toughness is right at the top of his list. You, you don't get to be the fittest bloke at the club in the NRL or thereabouts if you're not tough. You know, you've got to push yourself to be that kind of elite in terms of fitness and Guffo has had that in spades and his effort on the on Thursday God uh, again uh, did not surprise me uh, but I certainly admired it because yeah Captain Courageous by definition right there well actually that's you've just corrected me then because I think I said last Friday and of course it was the Thursday night game uh, Clint do you think uh, just quickly do you think that Guffo has uh, another year or more years as a fullback in front of him, or did we see a glimpse into the future with Dylan Brown running around at fullback? Um, firstly, I just want to add um, uh, to uh, John's comments there: the ultimate competitor. There is no one who wants to win more, I think, than Clint Gutherson in the NRL. Uh, it's probably, I'm sure, other. Um, supporters of other clubs would debate that, but you know, as far as we're concerned, you know, um, Captain Courageous, the ultimate competitor, you, you Clint, give him Clint, any accolade under the sun. Clint, I just want to add in there, he he just doesn't want to win in rugby league games. He wants to win everything at training, like when they're yeah. doing uh, pre seasons and all the all the conditioning runs, uh, all the drills. He wants to be a winner in those, and whenever the gauntlet is thrown. And he might get caught by surprise in a single run or something like that. And immediately you can see the look on his face like you've 
you think you're going to be, beat me? You think? <laughs> and it's like, bang, he just runs his opponents into the ground. I mean, he is, he's almost like that undeniable force that when he sets his mind to it, he's not going to be denied. So, yeah, how he plays the game is no different to how he trains and prepares for a season, let alone for each match. So sorry for interrupting there, but... No, somebody... no, no, no apology required at all. And, you know, um, to, to echo um, um, that sentiment and, and, and John's before you, you don't get to that level without um, being that way in training. You know, this is, it's not a happy accident. This isn't, this isn't, um, you know, we're not talking about attributes that are, um, that's natural talent. We're talking about a guy who continuously works on his craft and is, and, and is competing to be the best in, in every little aspect of his game. So, you know. So how long, um, how long has he got as a fullback? Uh, uh, I couldn't put, I could have put, a, I couldn't put a time on it, but, to, um, to me, it's, it's as long as he wants, and it's, it's about the team that we have around him because, you know, um, to cons- while we may have had a potential glimpse into the future with um, Dylan Brown filling in there at fullback when Guther went off, we also conceded the majority of our points and um, when, when Guther went off. You know, and, and that says a little bit about the leader that he is, the, the value of his talk um, at the back. Um, you know, fullback is a very vocal role in rugby league you need someone who's who's constantly talking to you given that you you control and direct the defensive line in front of you um you know and um we're, again we're talking about some of Gutho's um strong traits when we mention that so you know um it's these are all things that need to be considered when we 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 start discussing do we think um there's a um a, a time limit on Gutho at fullback when, you know, as we've just said before, the only knock on his game has been, um, you know, him not having that extra yard pace that you want or um, you supposedly want a fullback to have. But, geez, he does everything else bloody yeah, damn well. Yeah, absolutely. But, John, I just want to bring you in here on this because a lot of – there'd been a bit of talk around on social media and some fans suggesting they'd like to see Dylan Brown tried as a fullback Given that we've spoke that the club itself has spoken out and indicated that they wanted to recruit an X factor, uh, primarily as a fullback that might allow Gutho to move into another position, such as centre, there doesn't seem to be too much around. Is it possible that the Eels have created or can create their own from within, their own X factor fullback from within with Dylan Brown? Because Oh, I was I was on board with Clint in that um, communication is a huge part, and we saw the value of Gutho's communication, especially in defence. In uh, it, we see it in every game. We saw it maybe towards the end there when he wasn't there, and what the result was. Um, is there a future for Dylan Brown potentially as a fullback? Can he overcome? what we perceive as being a communication shortfall and maybe just not being that natural talker out on the field for, for the Eels to manufacture an X-Factor at the back? Mm, I mean, that's one of those... I think that's one of those ones that we as fans, even you know, given how close we are uh, to the Eels, you know, given everything we do, but we don't know. Like, that is something that... Even at training, you probably need the coach's tape and, and their sort of uh, 
there are audiovisual feedback from that to understand whether he's talking enough in those sort of environments because you can talk at training, you can talk in you know scrimmages and whatnot, but talking on the field is what counts. And yeah. as fans, we can. He was obviously talking on Friday, Thursday night against Penrith, but you know how vocal is he? Is he giving out the right signals? Is he you know doing everything he needs to do as a fullback? So I don't know if he can get on top of that. Then you you do have a very intriguing idea there. Um, if you can trust him to to you know shepherd the defense and set everyone up in the right places and read the numbers from the fullback position in order to set up the defensive line, then yeah, I think you could absolutely flirt with the idea of putting him into fullback and then give him full reign of the team from that role. But it's a big if. And the other thing that comes with it is where do you put Gufferson if you are moving Dylan? Does he go to 5'8"? Does he go to centre? If he goes to 5'8", then, you know, fair enough. The team just works. If he goes to centre, then you've got to find someone to play 5'8". Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe those answers are found in a couple of pathways players that are coming through. True. Uh, Who knows? I guess this is where uh, the preseason may become intriguing to see. If you're going to do that move, I I think you bite the bullet and you do it right now. Um, You you can't delay if that's the case. If you think that you can't find the X-Factor player at fullback externally, um, then you make the move with Dylan Brown now. Um, he's got, I mean, in terms of the athleticism, he, he'd profile to be a, a top-tier fullback. He's got the speed. He's got the engine. Um, you know, he can jump and catch. We've seen that from 5'8", that he, he can be very aggressive on his kick chases and get up and claim the ball. Um, you know, he's got plus playmaking as a, as a fullback, given his, you know, history as a 5'8". Uh, and, and in terms of defense, well, that's probably the big negative from moving the fullback is, or well, A, Guffo is obviously an outstanding defensive fullback in his own right, but you're, you're going to lose the best defensive halfback or half in the competition, so that that's also something worth you know considering in the mix. But if you think that the uh, positives outweigh it, then you got to pull the trigger. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, but yeah, if you think he can, he's, got, he's got the uh, communication chops, and you think that he will make the transition elsewhere, uh, then yeah, go for it. Okay, now just talking through the other results from the weekend, we had uh, an absolutely stunning final twenty minutes in the New South Wales Cup where the Eels came from 24-4 to four down to record 30 unanswered points and run out 34-4 to four winners, 34-24 uh, to 24 winners, and send Jordan Rankin out as a winner in his retirement match. Uh, it was certainly amazing to witness. It was an impossibility for me to blog, mate, at the... That yeah, well, the, the way the game played out, because you had, I left um, on the uh, stroke of half time. Uh, we had uh, sim bidding, I believe, uh, so it looked like yep. the the points were going to pile up, uh, and and the second half started that. Way, yeah, too. and then and then in the final quarter of the game, I sort of look at my phone after getting back uh, home, ready to head out again to the function I was going to, and I, I literally just said, "What the hell? Like, what's going on?" Uh, I had to yep. call you to. to ratify that that was indeed the correct result, given that we had a scoreboard error in the uh, Jersey flag causing some drama. <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 get, we'll, get that, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but. Yeah, uh, what a tremendous rally, rallying effort from the boys. And look, they, they missed the finals, but by winning they knocked Penrith out. And in terms of their finish to the season, the, they had a monster slump in the midway of the season, the midpoint of the season. There is no way to you know, spin that as anything else. Uh, but... They finished the year with four wins from their last five games. So they played some really positive football. 
the injection of young guys helped massively bringing energy into the team. We saw uh, a rotating cast of, I want to say, about somewhere between eight to ten flag players uh, being part of the team at various points in that run. And it really, it felt like it really invigorated them. And, and on top of that, looking at this result, you, you could tell the team did not want Rankin to go out a loser. You know, yeah. they, they rallied big time. They had no reason to fight that hard otherwise in a game where they're not playing for the finals. Yeah, you're being spoilers for Penrith for our arrival. That, that's cool. But, yeah, they, they dug really deep and well done to them. Yeah, I have to say, it was, I mean, it was almost comical for me to try to blog that because um, for just to give context to those comments, I was blogging on my phone with one thumb typing. Yeah, and you and you, you had tri- you, you had tries popping off every four or five minute intervals, oh. or even faster in the last three. No, no, it was it, it was actually faster. Yes, than that. basically four tries in eleven minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. Was basically what was happening was that the try was uh, a try was being was being scored, and obviously I can't touch type like you. I have to watch what's happening, and then. I choose my moment about what to describe. Now, in that final 20 minutes, I could only describe the try-scoring passages. So I was watching a try-scoring passage. Then immediately, while the kick was being lined up and taken, I started my description of what had transpired in the (laughs) try-scoring movement. And then I was still typing as the play from the kickoff was heading straight back downfield and a try was almost being scored immediately in that same set of six from the kickoff, um, either from that or from a repeat possession in that in that sequence. So as that as I'm then watching the next try being scored and trying to commit that to memory, I'm then finishing off typing up the previous try scoring moment uh, movement and then launching straight into the next one. I was always a full. Um, description behind of what was transpiring out on the field, it, they they all they literally made it impossible to keep up. So um, yeah, but what what a great moment for uh, Jordan Rankin, uh, Clint. I, I guess now uh, the focus for Jordan switches to his role as a coach within the club. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the club uh, made official. Um, uh, only, or said, uh, uh, yesterday, perhaps I think, um, or, or, or certainly um, at the conclusion of that New South Wales Cup game, um, that Jordan would be the uh, Jersey flag coach for 2024. Obviously, as as, as we've just alluded to, uh, in the way the boys rallied for him in, in his final Cup game, uh, a much loved figure around the club, and you know, um, this is something that he's been, um, uh, I guess the word is groomed. Uh, for over the past couple of seasons, you know, we'll remember when um, in 2021, when the competition went into lockdown and the game and it was moved into um, the competition was relocated to Queensland. Uh, Jordan Rankin wasn't one of the players who went up with the squad, and that's because the the the, the plan that we've now see come to fruition um, had started. You know, and the, those discussions had been happening at that point, and it was, it was about Jordan helping the the, the next uh, wave of players coming through. Um, uh, in, in terms of his involvement as a player. Uh, likewise, he's been um, the assistant coach of the grand final winning uh, SG Ball side this year um, and doing plenty of work in our development and pathways. It's not just that role um, that he's been doing. And 
and um, and now he gets a shot as flight coach in 2024. Yeah, and I should mention as well that we've had all of the coaches named for the uh, junior representative uh, teams over uh, just uh, yesterday. I believe that was that those announcements were made, and uh, just um, let me let me just double check those uh, that list of of announcements because it was um, there's a few changes that have that have taken place. Each with of the junior that. rep teams, um, yeah, have changed coaches on top of the jersey yeah, flag as abso- well. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, so we've we've now got. Um, the following, uh, so we've got in in Jersey Flag, of course, that's Jordan Rankin, and we want to really send out a shout out to the current Jersey Flag coach Craig Brennan for not just this year, but uh, many years of coaching within the Eels uh, pathways, uh, junior reps up to well, even last year he was assisting Jordan Rankin with the reserve grade team. Uh, when uh, Jordan was made captain coach. And uh, obviously during the year, he was the assistant um, coach um, to uh, the germ at Jersey flag level last year. And um, he was then also made match day uh, assistant for Jordan Rankin. So he was up there in the box uh, for Jordan Rankin being out there on the field with that. Uh, Craig's a great man. He's a Parramatta man. There's still unfinished business this season for him, and he's done a terrific job moulding together uh, almost two distinct teams, the uh, Jersey flag team that started the year this year and the SG Ball, who, uh, I mean, the a massive number of them, must have been around about a dozen that have taken the field at different points during the second half of the season. And to be able to mould them into uh, such a harmonious uh, group at, who are playing great football as a unit has has been remarkable. Um, the head coach of the SG Ball will be Mitchell Lewis, and uh, Mitchell, I believe, has worked with the Bulldogs in the past, and he's also uh, one of the football coaches up at the Hills Sports High School. And the Harold Matthews head coach is Charbel Curry, who was the assistant coach in Harold Matthews uh, this year. Uh, I should mention as well that Steve O'Day, who was the head coach of the SG Ball, has moved up to be assistant coach in the Jersey flag. And um, and uh, Chris Howard, who was uh, the coach of the uh, Harold Matthews this year, is uh, did not apply for coaching positions for next year. And he's he's uh, has uh, coaching work that he does at Wente. And uh, I believe his son is... Uh, in in that sort of sixteen years age group at the moment, and he's uh, he's heavily involved with that as well. So, and again, our thanks to um, to Chris, who won't be coaching at the Eels next year, but again, uh, in his roles as an assistant coach, as a head coach within the pathways, he's been uh, he's done so much for these young players, and um, really been a, a guiding light. Uh, just as 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 Craig Brennan has, and and it's also good to see that um, as a premiership winning coach as well that Steve O'Day has been kept within the Eels system, and um, and also I suppose too that Charbel Koury has been able to uh, step up that role from being assistant coach to a head coach, 
And in the Tasha Gale, um, we had Ryan Walker, who's, I believe, within as another role, a more senior role, uh, within the uh, pathways at the Eels, uh, which means that Shah Henry has been offered the role of head coach this year. So uh, for next year, sorry. Uh, so she's moving up from assistant coach of the Tasha Gale to the head coach of the Tasha Gale. So what we're seeing there is a little bit of progression within those uh, junior rep appointments uh, for next year. So just uh, wanted to make mention of those fellas. And, uh, and also now, um, just moving forward on that uh, on that match for the Jersey flag, what what a what a match to watch, and then also the aftermath of it with waiting for that final result. John, I just, I, I've done enough talking just then. <laughs> talk our listeners, talk our listeners through the scenes out at Penrith at the for the conclusion of the match, um, and. Um, Oh, and, and just quickly before you do, I should also point out, I actually had Jordan Rankin as uh, one of the best on field for the Eels in his final match. So a real shout out to Jordan Rankin, not just on his um, his winning his, his retirement game, but also his individual performance in the game, which was outstanding. So, yeah, John, talk us through the those closing stages of the uh, of the Jersey flag match. Yeah, well, what a rollercoaster emotion because they came into that match needing to beat Penrith and have Canberra upset the Melbourne Storm. And heading into halftime in both games, the Eels were down by two, playing a bit of a, not their best football. They weren't terrible. Nervous. It was nervous football. Yeah. And absolutely then, nervous. Meanwhile, yep. Canberra were absolutely crushing it. They were up 16-0. So it looked like the Eels were going to you know, have their end of the bargain being let down by themselves if Canberra doing the job down in Melbourne. Fast forward into the second half, the Eels come out and they're just a completely different team in the second half. Uh, Breno obviously hit the right notes in the halftime speech. The players responded magnificently, ran Penrith off the park, but as we were doing that, at the same time, we saw the scoreboard <laughs> going the wrong way in the NSWRL app uh, with uh, the the Storm going one try, then two, and then three to make it 16 all. And the worst part was that a draw was as bad as a loss uh, for or a Melbourne win or a Canberra loss, whichever way you want to put it, for the Eels because a draw would split them uh, by one point. Uh, so either way, it was looking terrible. And then we got what looked to be the death knell with a, after a long pregnant sort of pause on the updating uh, where it felt like the game had to have been over without any updates, thus being a draw. We see the Melbourne Storm scoring a try in the 68th minute. We've just gone, no, no, not like this. Not after they've done so well to turn the season around and and Storm home winning, what was it, like six or seven of our last eight games, being, you know, other premiership contenders in that window. Uh, but no, it was a scorer's error. They'd pressed the button of the wrong team, and it was the Raiders who'd scored <laughs> in the 68th minute. So absolutely, uh, like you said, 60 is a roller coaster of uh, insanity, really, with the boys playing wonderful football to bring it home, and then the, the Raiders doing their end, or holding up their end of the bargain. And yeah, they, they enter the uh, finals, not with a whisper, but a roar. They are, they're going to meet Penrith again. Um, and the way they've played the you know, last couple of uh, times they've met, plus the last two months of football in general, you know, they've got a real chance here. Yeah, they, they certainly do. And that matches at North Sydney Oval on Saturday morning, kick-off 11 o'clock. Uh, it's a bit crazy to think that a match between Parramatta and Penrith, a finals match, <laughs> is being staged at North Sydney on a Saturday morning. But that's... 
that's how it goes. I, I guess they they locked in the venues some time ago because I think the other venue is Cogra, and it's a little bit friendlier, I think, because it might be the the Sharks and the, I think from memory, the set might be South. Anyway, it's uh, certainly far more local clubs that are playing down there at Cogra. It's a, it's a disappointment that they couldn't have something like St Mary's or something organised as a venue for the um, the Eels and Penrith. Uh, I think even Eels supporters would have been content for it to be played um, out in Penrith's backyard because I don't think the Eels have any fear about where the game is staged in that regard. Um, Clint, I don't know if you got to see that final try that was scored by the Raiders that got the Eels into the uh, finals. I haven't seen it uh, yet. However, I did have the, um, the, the the frantic refresh experience that John detailed. That was absolutely my experience, um, both from a um, a uh, reserve grade and a New South Wales Cup and a Jersey flag perspective. Because uh, my wife had booked uh, very kindly, very thoughtfully, booked us uh, in to see a, a film on on Saturday that was stationed between the first half of Flag and the uh, end of the second half of um, of Cup. So, um, yeah, you know, I've, 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 I, was, I was doing the cheekies in, in, in the cinema, just seeing sort of what was happening, keeping my eye on it, till I got to a point where, you know, n- not too dissimilar to John, but the Cup that I went, oh, well, okay, that looks like it's done. And then likewise, um, it wasn't until um, uh, I'd, I'd come out of the film but I actually saw that the uh, the adjustment had been made for um, for flag, and saw and 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 dad simultaneously as I saw that uh, text me saying that um, that flag got through. So um, definitely um, definitely <laughs> had the, uh, the the breadth of experience of emotions on that one, and as I'm sure um, many of the um, the Eels faithful following those ones did too. Yeah, it was just to let listeners know if you haven't had a look at any highlights on New South Wales Rugby League, I. I I had um, the that particular try sent through to me um, by someone on uh, on uh, Saturday night, and uh, it emphasised the, I guess, a bit of fortune that fell the Eels' way with that because the Raiders, and this is with just over a minute to go, so they're attacking the the Storm line. They set up for the field goal. The Storm are up too quick for them to go for the field goal. So the, the ball swings right and they uh, grubber a kick into the end goal and it literally was grounded maybe about, um, you know, like centimetres inside the corner of the uh, end <laughs> goal. So it, it, could have, it could have rolled too far, both in terms of depth and width, but it was, it was uh, literally inch perfect for them to um, score that uh, try and... And really, we have to be thankful to that because that match was not going to get them into the finals. The Raiders, it was, it they could have played out a draw quite easily, but they were going for the win over the Storm, uh, playing with um, a great determination to win, and uh, the Eels were the beneficiary of that. And talk about. Um, playing with a lot of uh, conviction, a lot of determination to win. John, what about the NRLW victory? I mean, oh. whew, we, we've spoken about them for last nearly a month now, 60s. I mean, I think round three against Newcastle, 
and then you had the the Broncos and the Raiders after that. And it felt like they'd been building and building, and and it wasn't just lip service. They'd been improving week on week. They've been, and it didn't. It's not a coincidence that Rachel Pearson has been back since that game against Brisbane, and you know made a difference for the team there. Uh, but this is a, a win that they have built for a month, and they deserved it handsomely. And they played some very good football. Uh, it, you know, from the, the the same contributors that have been outstanding since day one this season, I think stood tall again. But they had more support this week, more young guns stepping up, more senior, or more senior, more of the experienced recruits stepping up. And yeah, they they fought very hard for this win. And while the Cowboys gave them a little bit of, a, and also said, I, I don't know if they've got another name for them. Uh, but calling the Cowboys, what their official name is, is very odd for a, a ladies' team. Uh, but the the Cowboys gave. Them Sorry, little, what is it? What is it? I don't know if they've got an official name for the oh. for the Cowboys outside the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, they it, it it doesn't it doesn't sound right to call them the Cowboys, does it? Yeah. I mean, are they call, are they calling them <laughs> the Cowgirls? I mean, you'd you'd think they have to be. Yeah, you'd you'd think there'd be another name they'd be using, but they're like in terms of all their official insignia, they're the Cowboys. Um, you know, you go to NRL.com and it's listed as the Cowboys. Um, in, in terms of that little scare they gave him, like, yeah, that, that was a little bit of a, you know, a raise on the, the heart rate per minute there. But um, I thought they played very well. Uh, I thought Rachel Pearson really owns this team now. We saw her golden boot on show here. Um, I mean, the usual suspects in terms of strong performers stood tall again. Cassie Toihiku, the Eels need her locked up yesterday. Um, she... Oh. She is legitimately a, a breakout superstar in this competition now. Um, she is the full package in attack and defense. She, she kicked it 65 meters off a dropout. Like, I know it bounced, but it went nearly 50 on the fly and got 65 meters on the roll. So she, she is absolutely killing it. But, you know, all the young core, Church, Faye, uh, obviously Pearson isn't part of the young core, but she's a huge part of the team in general. But Ruben Cherrington, outstanding again. Tyler Amiatu, brilliant. You know, she's brought an offload into a game after dominating with the ball in hand. Uh, both her and Ruben, by the way, uh, Amiata was a tick over and Ruben was a tick under, 14 metres a run. Uh, and that was with, like, good numbers too. They were both over 100, 140 for Amiatu and a tick over 100 for Ruben. Uh, Mahalia Murphy was excellent. Jade Venora, I thought, was very good coming back from her broken hand. Um, and then on the interchange, we got to see, well, not just the interchange, in the team we got two more rookies. Uh, you know, The boss. The boss. Uh, Noria uh, Kapua, who they, they call the boss. So it's a, a pretty pretty sweet name, i got to say. And then uh, she comes to us by way of the Bulldogs from their Tashigal pathways, only signed to the end of the year, so that's another decision they need to you know, be pretty quick about what they're going to do there. And then, Well, turn, the Bulldogs won't have an NRLW. I know, but there's, there's plenty of other competition, as we've seen how we got pillaged uh, coming into this year. Uh, and then the other one too, internally, uh, and you know we, we've... So I'm spoken glowingly about Sam Tuivati, and he's eligible for another year SG ball. Lindsay Tui can return for Tasha Gar next year, and she's out here making her NRLW debut and had a very good game. I thought. Yeah, and it was it, sorry, it was a game that I thought she really built into. Like the longer the game went, the more she found her feet. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of maybe a couple of nervous moments early. Certainly wasn't given some of the best service early in the game, um, but. Yeah, I, I I really thought that she made her presence felt like like physically made her presence felt out there, and she has a long career in front of her. A, again, another one that needs to be locked up. 
but um, mate, yeah, there's uh, there's certainly uh, there's certainly plenty to like about the way that they achieved their victory. Clint, you'd have to you'd have to be on board with locking up these these players like Amiatu and uh, Toei Hiku. Toei Hiku, how old is she, John? Is she? Um, Ham and I were Ham and I were talking about her on the uh, Para podcast earlier tonight, and I believe she's turning twenty this year. So yeah. she, she's just out of Tasha Gale. Um, she she literally has her whole career ahead of her. Um, she's shown that she can play wing and centre with equal aplomb. We've already pushed for her to be maybe considered as a fullback option, given mm. how influential she can be for the team with more ball in her hand. Um, but yeah, she she's turning twenty. I think Amiatu might be twenty one. Um, where is she? She's a date of birth that doesn't show up on her profile. But when I when I checked last time, I thought she was in her very early twenties. So they've they've got some seriously good young talent in their team right now. And with the advent of multi year contracts now in the NRLW, they they are your core. Sign them up, um, and you. Yeah, can... there is no, there is no excuse for not locking in players like that. Yeah, there, there is none. They, like it, it, it can't. It, you know, doesn't fly now that you can only lock in, you know, a, a one player to a multi-year deal. This is, this is the time to act, not later, now. No, you got the, because... them, Ruben Charrington. Um, you know the. Those players, alongside your, you know, long-term signings in Albert, Kennedy, Charrington, and Pearson, um, you know, Zali Faye's another young one too to throw onto that pile of players to retain. But they, they are how you build towards an NRLW premiership because you have them. You can start augmenting with your own Tasha Gal, with the Tasha Gal squads from other teams that aren't necessarily in the NRLW, as we saw with Boss Kapoor. You know, there, there are players out there to go recruit, um, but you need those, those girls locked up now. Um, you cannot. Yeah, you, you, sorry, John. So you go. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask who who Clint would put as his priority out of out of all of those. If you if you could only sign one right now, Oof. and I mean that, and I mean this is this is completely hypothetical because they should be signing all of them, right? But yep. who would be the first that you'd sign right now to a long term deal? Uh well, given her age, you got to go um, CTH. Cassie Toei Hiku, um, but followed very closely by Tyler Amiatu. Um, you know, uh, I, I think she's been absolutely devastating. And for a forward pack that's been missing um, um, down on troops this year, um, her introduction to the NRLW has coincided with the team's improvement in form and then subsequently leading to a win. So, you know, um, the old the old saying that is that... Um, in rugby league, that forwards win matches back to the side by how much also kind of rings true. But you know, you've you, you, it, it seems like we've got a really, really good one on our hands in, in Cassie Toei Hiku. And you know, um, given that the, the, the quality of, of um, you know, and it, it must be said, she's played plenty of fullback in other teams and in, in junior sides that she's been a part of, Cassie. So she was the know, fullback I, for I the city team this year, I think. Yeah, and she, she did not, yeah, look, I, she did I, not look out of right. position. So I mean, and again, we, we've spoken about this in the past. That is not a slight on Abby Church, who has been very good this season. No. I think Abby can still be a, a huge part of the back line uh, at wing or centre. Mm-hmm. It's just that Cassie, uh, the, she has every every tool required to be one of the best players, not not just a superstar, but one of the best players in the NRLW, it feels like. She has mm-hmm. the aggression, the hunger, the speed, the athleticism. I mean, in, in the one game, we saw her make 150 metres, 
kick a ball 65 minutes from a set restart from a dropout, do a, a prime Gidley flick pass to Kimberly Hunt down a right edge short side, and also reap the soul of Francesca Goldthorpe in defense. She she is the full package. She is outstanding. I love that phrase, reap the soul. But now that we've just <laughs> run through these these players and, and we've just been talking about the uh, flag and the NRLW, Forty, can you take us through the main talking points of Team List Tuesday, which only features the flag and the NRLW yeah, team? it is a very much an abbreviated TLT, no cup, no NRL. Uh, but the Eels meet the Panthers for the second week running in the Jersey flag. Now, this one's taking place 11 o'clock a.m. out at North Sydney Oval. It will be on New South Wales Rugby TV, so you can catch that on their Facebook stream. Uh, but for the Eels here, 60s, it was, I, I do not envy Brenner. It was always going to be a tough task this week to build his team. And the players, <laughs> that are, the players that are missing out and the players that are unavailable because of either suspension or not being eligible for Jersey flag uh, finals contention probably saved him a few um, headaches too. Uh, because no half Miller Stephen is not eligible. He only played, I think, two games of flag this year and um, was either injured or playing New South Wales Cup. No Tony Mattielli, who we believe is suspended. Uh, but coming back into the team this week, the captain, Jock Brazzle, coming oh, back... Oh, and also back, Tony Mattielli wouldn't have been eligible even if he was... Which suspended. which has my head scratched because mm. he, he is out of eligibility, but uh, Jonte Jr. Beth Mesa, who was a massive in, a massive in, mm. but I, I don't know how he is flag eligible. So evidently he's just made the cutoff, but that is a huge in for the team. Jonte has been a mainstay in senior football and now comes back into this team. So while they would have lost Tony for nearly the full final series, I think 60s due to suspension, um, he might've been back for the grand final, I think. Um, no. Cause the Eels, the Eels would have had to have played three games to make the grand final. No, two games. Two. Two. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, so I don't think he would have uh, would have played a game. Yeah, so I think, that that is. I, think, a, I believe it's a three games suspension there. Um, a huge in for the Eels there, and also Richard Penasini, who returns from a concussion sustained in his New South Wales Cup debut. Um, so out also was Saxon Pryke, who again don't know if injury or suspension is a factor there, but uh, if it isn't, then that just reflects on how loaded the team is. But uh, quickly, up a tweet at fullback. You got Matty Komalafi, Ethan Martin on the flank, Samuel Loizu. On the left center or in the left center position with Richard on the right, uh, Lynn and Sanders in the halves. Brock Parker, who was outstanding against Penrith, he'll be one of the bookends with uh, Jonte the other. Matty Arthur at dummy half. Brazel captaining on the left edge. Tupo on the right. Nick Lenars, who uh, I believe has picked up the Player of the Year in the Jersey flag. Um, yes, and uh, Brock got the Coach's Award by the way. Uh, and then there in the front row or in the round of the pack, sorry. Blaze Talungi moves from centre to the back line or general utility, given they can probably play back row. Uh, Sam Tulvaiti, Will Latu, and Noah Reid on the interchange, which means that uh, there is no injury or suspension at play keeping Charlie Geimer out of the team, boys. Like, that, that yeah, is a serious, crazy. serious, like, embarrassment of riches there to mm. have a player like Charlie, who was playing cup not two weeks ago and doing a good job, uh, missing out here. But uh, obviously... Again, in no way a reflection or indictment on Charlie, but Bruno is trying to balance, uh, you know, the best players available, team chemistry. You know, there's been established combinations in that team uh, throughout the course of the season. Uh, and uh, who knows? There's still plenty of time before Saturday. Uh, every chance that there could be a tweak to the team. Um, but well, it's I, I guess it's possible, but like you say, it is a it is a mark of the the players that are available because. 
um, you know, Charlie in the back end of the season was uh, because he was part of the New South Wales Cup. Uh, he and a number of other players were also training um, against the NRL uh, team in, um, in certainly in the the second training session each week to um, you know as part of the opposed work and and part of the skills work with the with the club. So almost similar to what we saw a couple of, a number of years back when. Uh, Dylan Brown and all of his cohorts uh, started training with the Eels in the latter part of that season, uh, the not 2018 season leading into 2019. Uh, yeah, sorry for interrupting there, mate. But um, uh, so that's, as, as you said, it's uh, an embarrassment of riches for um, for Breno there and uh, some players, even players being moved because we saw um, Will Latu move from uh, centre to the bench. Yeah, and well, he, he's been, he's shown his versatility throughout the course of the season, capable of playing both back row and centre. And um, yeah, he's been a, a big factor for them throughout the course of the entire season. So no surprises to see him still win a spot in the team. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, the NRLW team, you would expect there's not going to be too many changes to a winning line. No, yeah. You don't, you don't tinker too much with a winning formula, especially when you've been building the way they have. Uh, but they are taking on the table-topping Sydney Roosters. And there is, I think, one change, if my maths is right, um, and that comes on the interchange of Capri Pagkow coming back into the equation. So I'm not, sh- not sure why she missed out last week, uh, but they uh, they couldn't fit her onto the bench last week, whether it was injury or suspension or uh, a straight-up, you know, just team composition decision. But coming against the Roosters, she comes onto the interchange where she joins Boss Kapua, Ruby Jean, Kennard Ellis, and Maddie Jones. Uh, Backline is unchanged. Uh, Church Faye, Tui, Toi Hiku, and Hunt. So uh, Tui gets her first official start in terms of the team was Tuesday. Well, she started last week, but gets the uh, three on her back this week instead of one of the reserve jerseys. And uh, yeah, um, in terms of starting pack, no changes there. O'Neill, Cherrington of the Ruben variety, uh, Amiatu, Marfi Murphy, and Jade Fenua. Uh, so Davis Welsh is the one that drops off the interchange there to make way for Payakau. And yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll preview preview them properly in a sec, but looking at that Roosters lineup, uh, it is an absolute galaxy of stars, boys. Baxter, Sergis, Kelly, Aiken, Kelleher, Boyle, Davis, Hilmoana, Koenig, Joseph. Like, oh my goodness. Like, that—that that is almost like a representative starting team right there. It, it is. Uh, the Eels got the job done in, uh, in 2022, most unexpectedly against the Roosters. Uh, who knows? Anything's Samira, possible. Samima and Kennedy were absolutely amazing in that game. I thought Kennedy was actually the best player on the field. Um, you know, this team though, if they can minimise the the errors and you know giving away the position and the opportunities to attack their goal line, on which they've been very you know committed to their goal line defence by the same token, but minimise the errors against this Roosters team, and I think you'll create some opportunities. Not not because the Roosters are weak defensively. I just think Parramatta have the strike now. I think in the forward pack, Amiatu is that much of a difference maker. The fact that she's finding her offload now and, and freeing up someone like Ruben Cherrington to terrorise defences in behind the ruck is huge. You know, Jade Fanua is getting back another game under her belt, and I think she's a pretty handy lock forward from what we've seen. Mahalia Murphy is carving in big inroads down that left edge. So the forwards are starting to get traction, you know, through the middle and beyond. And then obviously in the back line, Tai Hiku, Church, Faye, Tui. I mean, Kimberly Hunt, we didn't, we didn't talk about her in the the post-match sort of analysis we just did, boys, but 
You know, she had a terrible start against Canberra. They really picked on her with the high ball, but she rallied beautifully and ended up scoring two tries from the high from the boot. So, <laughs> yeah, from Parramatta's attacking yeah. kicks. So, and, yeah, well, well done to her there. Um, you know, but the Eels they they do have the ability to ask questions of this out you know outstanding Roosters lineup. Yeah. Okay. Well, fellas, that has been an extensive Eels news that we've just gone through, and we have. Uh, NRLW news that we need to power through. And then we've got a couple of previews that we're going to quickly look at. So um, whilst we're uh, talking here, thank you to everyone that's tuning in and listening. I don't know whether at this point in time, people want to go out and grab a coffee or or something. Just just put the podcast on pause while they go out and do that. Because there is is plenty more to come. I I could get the old... uh, theatre organ out and start playing away like used to happen back in intermissions in the cinemas and people go out and can can get their jaffers and popcorn and uh, chocolate top <laughs> ice creams and, and what have you. Let's all go to the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's let's power on because there is plenty that we do need to get through. Uh, welcome back anyone that did just take a little bit of a pause and uh, and come back for the second half. Um we, we do have some key matches and, and finals permutations, and we're going to talk talk about some of the main news that's, that's coming out. But I just wanted to get your takes on uh, on, on what's going to happen because this weekend the, the clubs that are in trouble for the finals that are currently in the top eight are obviously the Raiders and the Rabbitohs and the clubs looking to get into the uh, top eight being the Cowboys and the Roosters. Now, the Roosters' fate is in their own hands because if they beat the um, the Rabbitohs, um, they're automatically in. They've, they just they they jump ahead and they'll jump ahead of um, the Raiders as well. If the Raiders lose, the uh, the other permutation, of course, is the Cowboys, um, who they're taking on um, the Panthers. And it's interesting because as a result of their loss last week, and I wondered whether this would be the case, the Panthers have basically named pretty much as strong a lineup as they could. Do you think that's a case of um, uh, Cleary not wanting to go into finals football on the base of on the back of two straight losses? I, I'm a bit surprised they did that. I would have thought, given the the formula for success they've had in the last couple of seasons, they would have valued that essential buy for the top team uh, the week off more highly than the minor premiership. Um, but evidently they felt that maybe Parramatta exposed some stuff that they need to to dust up and, and put the obergrease into before the finals. Otherwise, I don't see why they would name their full-strength team otherwise. I reckon if the Eels, if they had beaten Parramatta last week, you would have seen them rest players this week. And, of course, this is probably much to the Cowboys' disappointment that they see a full-strength Panthers lineup uh, facing them this week as they battle to get into the finals because who knows, they might have half budgeted on having a a, a win mm. over a Panthers reserve grade team in the final match of the year. Yep. Uh, Clint, your takes on that? Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it's 100% for that reason, you know. Um, it's, it's not a big sum of money in the grand scheme of things, the $200,000 prize for winning the minor premiership but it is good bragging rights and it's and and, and it is and it is also 
um, a good confidence boost for a side to know that they've maintained a level of consistency over the course of the season to win a minor premiership. So, you know, um, Penrith, um, more so for the reasons that you've already stated and wanting to um, you know, work on some of those things that, that our boys might have exposed. But, you know, um, to play for the minor premiership is, is no small feat either. And it'd be another feather in the cap of this very successful Penrith side. So, you know, I think there's um, a, a small element of that at play and a small element of their own personal pride that they want to go out there and secure um, the JJ Yorton Shield. Yeah, and uh, we've got the sh- the Raiders taking on the Sharks. The Sharks, uh, they probably uh, can't be dislodged from sixth place because of that uh, for and against that they've got, not unless the Rabbitohs were to secure a, uh, a huge win over the... Um, uh, over the roosters and then the um and then the the sharks uh lose to uh the raiders but um i don't know about you fellas but the way i see it panning out this week is that the uh, roosters beat the rabbitos uh leapfrog them uh into eighth place the cowboys lose to the panthers so they stay in um uh, in uh, like a ninth or tenth place um doesn't really matter who uh, wins between the the sharks and the raiders then i think uh, probably the sharks get the job done and you have the the top 7 pretty much staying the same and uh, the roosters jumping in ahead of the rabbitos any either of you see it playing out any differently i think i think that's the most logical sequencing of mm. what we're going to see Agreed. in the coming week uh, we all know that sport and rugby league in particular love to throw a curveball or two, uh, which obviously is a, it's a baseball reference, but the, let's go with the, uh, the the odd bounce of the oblong footy going you know, a weird direction. Um, so there, there's still stuff that could change, I suppose, but I feel like for the most part the the final structure is settled. I suppose the question is, in terms of the finals, um, how much noise can teams like the Warriors and the Newcastle Knights make? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Clint, um, uh, do you see those results going any differently? I mean, is it is it possible that the Rabbitohs beat the Roosters? Well, look, you know, you, you never say never. It, it, it's it's a battle that, on paper, even um, with the absence of Latrell Mitchell, that the Rabbitohs should have a level and degree of confidence in. You know, never underestimate the local rivalry there. There's always a, always a show that's put on between those two. So, yeah, it's certainly not outside the realms of possibility, but it's hard to think how and to see how they break out of the funk they found themselves in for the second half of this season versus the Roosters last month or so where they've been able to um, to bank some wins and, and, and get a little bit little bit of consistency that had previously evaded them. Um, yeah, perhaps it might come down to the whether Joey Manu is fit to play as well mm. and and just to that end just from the team lists we've got the storm and the broncos basically naming reserve grade teams with respect <laughs> to re, with respect to some of the players that are out there because you know we have the the likes of ryan pappenhausen who's um uh, making his starting debut for the season uh for the storm but you know they've they've really named uh a lineup that uh lineups that if the match mattered, would be completely different to um, who would be out there. Uh, the Knights and the Warriors have rested key players. 
Um, I mentioned before the Panthers have named full-strength teams. Some of the key injuries that could affect uh, finals football, and not so much this week, but, you know, moving past this week, you've got Jerome Luai with his um, dislocated shoulder. You've got Nanai from uh, the Cowboys, who also has a shoulder injury. Uh, Metcalf over at the Warriors, who uh, looks like he's probably, what, out for the rest of the season at this stage with his hamstring. Papali'i definitely out for the season with a bicep injury. Um, Joey Manu named, but that, geez, you know, how does, how does one come back within a, a week with a hamstring injury? And then, of course, you've got Jared Warrior Hargraves and Corey Horsburgh, who were suspended. Um, um, Jared was already uh, suspended for the headbutt uh, for three weeks. He was fighting the other um, high tackle charge, but he was already out for three weeks with the headbutt. And Horsburgh, a lot of pundits were thinking he'd be found not guilty and that he'd win at the judiciary tonight. He didn't. And he's got now got a four-week suspension, so that's the end of his season. I have a thing about for Ricky to swear about, eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, they're, they're the key ones going forward. But um, just as a sidelight, the next thing I really wanted to talk about was Ricky Stewart and his outburst at the cameraman that was captured last week on live television, uh, that expletive. And, and the cameraman did come out and say he's actually quite happy it was caught on live TV because he does it all the time. So um, has he been sanctioned by – has Ricky been sanctioned by the NRL? There was some talk about that. I haven't seen anything in relation to it, but I'd hope that it's a strong consideration because, you know, you have a duty as part of the NRL itself as a coach to conduct yourself in a certain way. And I understand that coaching is a stressful, you know, uh, occupation and especially in the NRL where it's a very results driven business but Ricky has tenure essentially in Canberra right like he is as untouchable a coach is regardless of results as you're going to get um, and yeah the carry on is just not good for the game like some people will love the drama uh, I, I don't mind sports drama but there is a difference between that and you know ab- like you know blatantly telling the cameraman to uh, go stuff himself in, in you know really strong terms on national TV when he wasn't doing anything wrong um, yeah, and, you know, and Ricky is a master of deflection. This is, you know, part of his coach book and every press conference you watch him. And the the cry about how unfair the Raiders have been treated in the presser was an all timer. Um, but you know, what what didn't surprise me was the fact that for less than twenty four hours, uh, the Ricky Stewart Defence Force had mobilised in the media, and Crawley, <laughs> Crawley was out there saying how fans shouldn't be blaming the coach for his outburst, should be blaming, you know, the media or whatever it was. I can't remember how he phrased it, but it was pretty asinine. Um, no, conduct yourself better. That's not good enough. And if the NRL haven't sanctioned him, I'll be disappointed. Yeah, Clint, in this instance, it's not like he's been followed in his private life by paparazzi. He's moved to the sideline and is captured moving to the sideline by the cameras as they would any coach and do cover with any coach moving to the sideline. They get a a grab of them either moving there or sitting there watching the game. This is nothing unusual. Hmm. Uh, I can't think of another instance where we've had the the coach tell the camera operator to F off during a a live broadcast. Um, 
you know, we, we in his time we we would see Jeff Tuvey get upset with supporters that around <laughs> in, the, in the coach's box. Uh, but I mean, like Ricky's Ricky's never been held to account, and, and John just pointed out. Uh, people love the drama around Ricky. They, if if the mm. camp Raiders have had a a controversial loss, everyone's tuned in to the presser to see exactly what Ricky has to say. But in the past, um, I mean, the claims are there that he he's he said this before to camera operators. We've seen him. I, I remember seeing him one week where he just either kicked or, or threw a chair that was on the sideline. It nearly went over the fence and hit the spectators that were that were seated at the fence. I mean. There just mm. is consideration for for people that are, are around. He just really lets the emotions take control. And as John said, while it might be good theatre, it's not really responsible behaviour or, or what you should have from a leader of a club. Uh, what's your take? Do you enjoy the theatre? Do you enjoy the drama? Or has he overstepped the mark? Oh, it's a hard question to answer without being a little bit of a fence sitter because um, the game does need characters and people probably find it a little bit funny that I lead with this and it's because I want to, I want to finish on my other point. Um, the, the game needs characters and, and Ricky Stewart is certainly one of those. And, you know, but um, there, there, there comes a point like a lot of things in life where it becomes um, the law of diminishing returns. And you can't help but see something like this and think, okay, the line's now being crossed. What are we actually going to do about this? Because you know, the, the behavior you walk past is the behavior you accept. Um, and, you know, um, um, Ricky is, is as a, a professional enough um, rugby league identity that I'm sure he sat and thought on his behavior, you know, whether he shares that with other people or not, he would have sat and thought on his behavior and gone, you know what, probably not my best moment, you know, re regardless of the cameraman being in my face in a tense moment um, of the game and of our season, probably not my best moment to have done that on national TV, you know? So you'd like, you'd like to think that there is um, a, a, a sense of um, personal accountability for his involvement and what he contributed to the, to, to the circumstances that led to this coming to light, you know, and in, in, in which case he is the aggressor in this situation. Um, I do find it interesting that um, Fox Sports um, uh, uh, apologised to Ricky themselves for getting in his face about that. But, you know, look, um, I guess you could make a case for them doing that. But at the same time, it's, it, it's a televised national sport and it's, it's, it's at the highest level. There's cameras everywhere. You know, the, it's 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 the um, broadcast deals that make the game possible um, in in many many ways. So, you know, what comes with that and is a byproduct of that is a you know both written and underwritten understandings that there is um, an expectation, a code of conduct, uh, and an uh, expectation of of behaviour and um, you know, abusing um, people who, for all intents and purposes, are doing their jobs um, is crossing the line. You know, so what me, happens, Clint? What happens going forward if if Fox Sports have issued an apology? Does that mean that the instruction to their camera operators is treat Ricky with kid, kid gloves? Don't go filming him if he comes to the sideline. I mean, is uh, that well, is that literally what will happen? 
Well, what it, what reading between the lines, um, the Fox Sports in this instance and in, and in apologising have been advocates for Ricky Stewart, the coach, and not their employee, trying to do his job. You know, and, and from an HR perspective, you've got to be looking out of the welfare of your employees, you know. So um, what I would like to see is, yes, a punishment, you know, and, and a standard of behaviour upheld. So, um, you know, that, that line is clearly established because who's to say that another coach is to do that and that there is not a different expectation put on that coach? You know, it's, it's the same rules for everyone. And regardless of, um, you know, it being an emotional point in time in the game, an emotional um, point in time in Canberra season, um, there's certain things that just shouldn't be allowed. And that, and that, to me, it falls into that category for me. I reckon if there were certain coaches that did this, that looked right down the lens of the camera and said F off basically to everyone. I know it's aimed at the cameraman, but that message is going to everyone in their lounge rooms mm-hmm. that are watching this. There'd be plenty of coaches who I believe their own clubs would sanction them mm-hmm. for such behaviour and the media would crucify them. And this isn't a pile-on on Ricky Stewart. This is just... I mean, it's about it's the hot. standard of behaviour. Yeah, and, and it wouldn't be tolerated for a whole lot of coaches. And there are, there, there are so many coaches, it, they might think it in their head, but they also understand their obligation to the game, their obligation to the club, their obligation as leaders and, 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 and also even role models as coaches. So it's just, you know, how, they can't go out a coach can't then go out to lead coach the coaches programs if they might mm-hmm. be involved in those and talk about how coaches should conduct themselves on the sideline right and and, and talk about acceptable behavior in fact their their club couldn't go out and talk about acceptable behavior and demand it from junior clubs if their own coach behaves like this straight into the cameras on national television. But like that's just, that's a basic. And uh, yeah, so if he's not held to account, it says a bit about their, about his club and it says quite a bit about the NRL as well. Um, now, just moving on, um, this week we're also seeing a first from the uh, officiating ranks because Belinda Sharp and Casey Badger are to become the first female referees ever to control NRL games under the one referee system. Uh, it's uh, uh, although those games, those games that they're controlling, they don't have any um, impact on finals football. But I tell you what, it's a historical moment, isn't it, for uh, the female referees to be fully in charge of an NRL fixture. Yeah, I mean, uh, NRLW is obviously kicking a lot of goals and, and doing wonderful things for the code. Um, the officiating side of things is also a huge part of the game. So well done to them. Uh, you know, the, the standards are pretty low right now. So if they're remotely decent, they'll be doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, we're, we're all for referees, no matter what the gender, to be, well... We expect them to be 
working in an environment where they're supported. And by supported, what we mean is that they're given all the tools to be successful. And some of those tools involve the sideline officials that work with them. Some of those tools involve the, um, the bunker in being able to come up with correct decisions where they are looking at the same incident over and over again. And I think a lot of it has to do with the rulemaking and the leadership around uh, referees and, um, you know, what what sort of um, expectations are on them in their, in their job. Because whilst we're critical of referees, I think there's been many a time where there's where the season and the rule changes or interpretations that they're told to um, that they're told to uh, officiate to uh, leave them set up for uh, mistakes, errors, and a bit of failure. So let's hope that they that uh, both Casey and uh, Belinda are given the adequate support from their other officials and from the NRL hierarchy mm-hmm. in this game. Okay. Uh, that brings us to the end of uh, the... Uh, oh, no, there is one other thing that I want to talk about without notice, fellas. Uh, the comments by Rod Churchill against uh, Latrell Mitchell. Now, the aspect I want to... Uh, uh, just interested in your opinion on is uh, people seem to be brushing over how a private text message has got there into the hands of the media. How, how has that happened? Anything that, that <laughs> any of your thoughts on this, John? Yeah, well, it means one of the two parties have leaked it, right? Um, yeah. And well, there's nothing to be gained by, um, you would think, Rod Churchill in, le- in yeah, leaking it. I think, I think that's probably, probably fair to say. Um, so yeah, I'm not suggesting. I'm not. I'm not saying that he didn't. I'm just saying there's. If, if he did, he didn't have anything in the game, but yeah, <laughs> no, no. And then it makes you. It would. You think why on earth would you do that? Coda Coda Nass is out there now saying that racism is going to drive, uh, drive Latrell out of the game the way he did Sonny Bill and whatnot. Um, yeah, look, there there are two conversations here. Um, one where Luttrell is the victim of racial abuse in the NRL, which is a, a very important issue to deal with, and the yeah, other and that's that comes from uh, uh, foolish keyboard warriors and idiots at game that want to yell out, and they have no place. They have no place in the game of rugby league. Anyone that that behaves in that manner, like it just, mm-hmm. it has no place in the game, and. And the game is constantly striving. This is where we will stand by the game itself and, and the people associated with the game is that um, everything is designed towards education around racism and eliminating it. And, and, in, right? that, in, and that, in that regard, Latrell should not have to deal with that sort of stuff. There is, no, there is no. anyone that says something to the contrary, well, I don't really want to be you know, associated with you. Uh, that, that, I think that is non-negotiable. But the other side of it too is that there is a fair criticism of Luttrell as a footballer, purely on a meritocratic, you know, approach to how he's conducted himself uh, for South Sydney, off, like on the field, off the field, and whatnot. And I think that's where this conversation is definitely being steered towards. 
Um, and, you know, given what we saw in the week that was with Sam Burgess, John Morris, having uh, differing, uh, differing views and opinions from their head coach as to how uh, different parts of the South team are managed. Um, yeah, I, I think that there, there absolutely needs to be... I don't know if there's going to be that realisation moment for Luttrell, um, but, yeah, I, I feel like he, he is not playing at his full potential. And that's a good thing for Parramatta. It's a bad thing for the game. Yeah, and look, uh, just on on those comments that uh, you know, I, I've read the the published text, and I think I, I'm not sure whether it was in the public interest for the Herald to print the contents of the text, um, because uh, you know prior to that, it was a private conversation in which. Um, you know, there there may there was probably a couple of comments which uh, crossed the line into being personal, but they're not damaging if they're not out there in the public arena. Mm-hmm. And the person in receipt of this, which was um, Nick Pappas, I believe, um, he has the op- had the opportunity to um, you know reply to that text. I don't know what the personal relationship between uh, Rod Churchill and Nick Pappas is, whether they are extremely good friends and, you know, one feels that they can, they feel they can talk to each other without a filter on. I don't know. But, I mean, the comments cross into being hurtful and personal when they're put into the public arena. All right? And, that, and that's, the, that's the same with keyboard warriors. Right, because keyboard warriors, if they kept their traps shut or were just talking to people of uh, their like mind, well, you know what, you, you, we're not having to deal with them as much. But as soon as they hop online and they use a public platform to spread, you know, filthy ideas, you know, disgraceful ideas to the world at large or towards a victim of it, that's where it becomes disgusting, like really disgusting. And it ha- it shouldn't be given a platform, right? And there's a lot of comments, a lot of opinions out there that social media platforms need to be more responsible in what they allow. Now, I'll put this to you. Is it, this wouldn't be the story that it is and people wouldn't be getting upset if it wasn't put out there in the public arena and that if it was and that it was simply dealt with personally and privately between Nick Pappas and also uh, Rod Churchill and that there and I believe Rod Churchill um, and it was acknowledged by the Herald asked that his comments not be made public but they made the decision to make them public. And, uh, I mean, we can't really comment more because we don't know enough to comment more, but that's my area of concern is who put the who leaked a private text message and why it was seen as essential that a private text message be shared in mainstream media with the world. Because I don't think it helps the situation at all. I think it only inflames it. And we're not talking about we're not talking about keeping 
abuse quite or anything like that because the person has that opportunity to be reprimanded or pulled into line privately and that in itself is still speaking up because if you if you shut someone down right at the source you're speaking up and i think uh as i said i don't think there's too much more we can say on that but anything you want to add fellas no i am perfectly fine with that statement as a sign off for that uh, particular topic yeah likewise okay okay so we move on and again uh, we make that offer to people we're now at part three of our podcast so again if anyone wants to pop out for an intermission uh grab a drink something to eat um <laughs> yeah, go to the loo whatever you, whatever you want to do uh we're going to be giving our preview of the eels jersey flag and nrlw matches so we assume people are now back in they're settled in they're ready to listen um fellas uh the uh jersey flag match between the Parramatta Eels and the Penrith Panthers taking place at 11 a.m. North Sydney Oval. Um, John, uh, can you, again, just quickly run through the Parramatta Eels team from fullback to um, to the bench? Yeah, and quickly before we do that, a reminder that you can catch this one not only on TCT, where we have live updates, but New South Wales Rugby League TV uh, via their Facebook stream, so make sure to tune in for that. Uh, but, yeah, the Eels line up as such. Uh, Tehuranui Apanui Tweedle or Upper Tweedle. At fullback, Matty Komalafi, Ethan Martin, the electrifying Ethan Martin on the wings. Uh, Sammy Loizu and Richard Penasini in the centres. Joshua Lynn and Ethan Sanders are in the halves. Brock Parker, Jonte Jr. Beth and Mies are the bookends. Matty R for the dummy half. Jock Brazel returns to captain the team from the left edge. Max Tupo will be on the right. Nick Lenars, uh, he of the Player of the Year honours in the jersey flag, will be the lock forward. And uh, I dare say emergency dummy half. On the interchange, Blaze Talangi, Sam Tuavidi, Will Latu, and Noah Reed. Charlie Geimer is the 18th man. It's a very deep squad. It's a very good squad. They're taking on the Penrith Panthers, who they met literally to book their spot into the finals, or one part of the equation to book their spot into the finals. So uh, both teams will have a pretty good feel for each other after what we saw out of Blue Bet on the weekend. Um, and yeah, the Eels shouldn't be short on confidence. Like I said, I think they've won seven of their last eight. They've beaten premiership contenders like the Roosters and the Panthers in that run. Uh, they are red hot. They are scorching coming into the finals. So if they play anywhere near their potential, uh, I think they can make a very deep run, boys. Okay, Clint, uh, who's going to be key for the Eels in this? <laughs> Look, it, 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 it's hard to um, single anyone out given the run of form they had because everyone's played a contributing part in, in, in what's been... Um, very strong team performances over the better part of the last two months. But, you know, um, it, it's always hard to go past the, um, the halves. And obviously, um, uh, Ethan Sanders has a fantastic kicking game, but, um, not too dissimilar to Mitchell Moses in the effect it has on the team in that it helps them control field position. Likewise, you know, we've got a handful of boys who have played plenty of cup football over the past two months as well. They should be coming back to that grade with plenty of confidence. You know, Josh Linmore recently had a... Um, a, a very good game, uh, a winning game against the Roosters um, in the New South Wales Cup. Um, you know, um, and, and, and likewise, um, big um, Junior Jonte coming back down as well should have plenty of fire in his belly to, to take it to the uh, the Penrith middle. So 
Um, you know, uh, Matt Arthur as well. Look, I, I, it kind of feels like I'm just going through the team list and, and, and naming the positive attributes, but such is the form of this side. And and um, to John's point, um, you know, the um, uh, ability that um, within the squad and the depths within the squad, you, you can't help but think that there is a good opportunity to to make a deep run into this final series. Yeah, look, they've been winning the middle. They've been winning the edges. Um, there's been space created for their uh, their outside backs um, to get the job done. It's, as you said, you could literally name everyone across the field. I think the, the spine is obviously critical and, and the middle forwards. That's always the case in rugby league matches. Um, I, I think that... The, Woods Arthur has been has certainly mm. been uh, critical in getting those those forwards moving. He um, his workload is 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 freakish. I think he made something like about forty three tackles last week against the Panthers. Um, it's and it's funny you know it's funny you say that sixties because I think that was on the flip side. I think it was probably one of Woods's more pedestrian attacking efforts, which means that the Eels still have another gear to go in that regard. Uh, coming into this game, if if Woods gets back to his best in attack, then they've got well, I, an, another difference maker. Well, I think the the first half was characterised by the entire team uh, looking and playing nervously mm. last week, and halftime was the the best thing that could happen because they clicked into that gear in the second half. I mean, the first half was all about them presenting opportunities to the Panthers and really for a large part of that first half hanging on, like not letting that game get away from them. And as soon as they were only two points down at half time, I was really confident that they were going to go on with the job in the second half. And the best thing that happened was the halftime break mm-hmm. where they could settle down. Breno could get to talk to them, get them refocused on, on what they needed to do and go out there and execute. And that's basically what we saw in the second half. You, you've got blokes out there that can that can finish the tries. Uh, the, Ethan Martin is a he's a revelation this year. It, just the, I mean, he is he is one to keep an eye on. And I'll, I'll be highly disappointed if the Eels can't look at at the potential that's there with him because he's coming there with with really predominantly a union background and, and he's learning the game and he's making an impact from out on the wing. And there's not a lot of him, but he's 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 an absolute um, terror to be able to tackle. He, he's one of those players that every time the ball's in his vicinity, you start sort of edging forwards on your seat to get to the very tip of it and just like expecting something to happen. Um, oh, the, the number of times that he went from uh, a nothing situation almost breaking through into the clear. It was like there were, people were just getting a hold of him. And uh, it makes me think that an off-season with a bit of gym work that, uh, and a bit, bit of extra strength, That because uh, we know that he's got the pace. He runs with uh, extreme purpose and authority. Um, he doesn't hold anything back. Like it's, it's almost like uh, no, they're not kamikaze runs because he's actually smart with it. He hits, he steps, um, and he and he does everything at full throttle when he's when he's taking the ball into the line. Um, and uh, he certainly scored a couple of tries that I think only he would have scored 
on the weekend, the one where that uh, his pace when he was given that a bit of a passageway to the uh, the corner in the first half, and then in the second half, I think he beat two or three defenders in that run uh, to, to score in the corner in a crucial try. Uh, look, but again, I could be mentioning a whole lot of them. I mean, you, you, we talked about Nick Lenars getting the Player of the Year. He's he's just been, um, you know, a phenomenal workhorse for the team this year. It's no surprise to see him get uh, that award. And, um, you know, the the work of Brock Parker in the middle. I mean, he, he's, apart from the period of injury where he had, he's he's also been up there as being one of the most consistent players for Coach Craig Brennan. And it's and it, I think it's of no uh, coincidence that those, those players have held their place when a lot of the... Um, SG ball players were introduced into the team. And again, I think Craig Brennan's done a, a great job in blending the two squads together into a, a team that uh, really celebrates each other's success. And that I think that's a big part to this surge that they've had late season is that they enjoy playing together and enjoy celebrating each other's success. So, um, yeah, so many, so many key players. I think the fact that... Um, we have a uh, a halfback and a five eight who offer options on both, like real options on both sides of the ruck, is critical because Josh Lynn has continued to improve throughout the season, and we all know just how good Ethan Sanders is. But when you know the the defence defensive systems and the tip sheet can't just concentrate on Ethan Sanders now because Josh Lynn effectively, if he's positioned on the other side of the ruck and they're not combining on the same side, he can he can be a problem for the defence as well. So, um, okay, time for the tips. John, what are you tipping here? Uh, let's let's go for our usual. The, um, the score, the um, first try score, your best on field, and then Clint the same. Ooh, well, I'm going to tip the Eels to win, obviously, um, and to win, honestly, pretty well. Um, I think, you know, anything can go in a game of football, but the Eels had the measure of the Panthers on the weekend and beat them earlier in the season as well. So backing them to pick up the win again uh, in the finals. So I will go for maybe a 30-16 to win. Uh, First try scorer, well, take your pick. There are a whole (laughs) whole bunch of candidates. Um, I'll go with uh, Richard Penasini coming back from the concussion, though. Get him over the line first. Best on field. Uh, again, take your pick. Woods Arthur is going to be in the thick of it. Uh, Brock Parker, <laughs> I thought, was outstanding last week and will be a, a real big factor if the Eels either dominate the middle. Um, hmm. Yeah, I will go. You know what? I'll, I'll go Richard Penasini first try score. I'll go Ethan Martin best on field to pick up a double or a Hattie. Oh, interesting. Clint, same for you now. <laughs> I was having a little bit, you may have heard a, a little bit of a, a laugh under my breath as, as John was sharing his thoughts there because mine are not too dissimilar. I have a 20 to, 28 to 16 win with Woods Arthur being man of the match, best on ground. And uh, first try score, I'm going to go um, the other winger. Um, yeah, I think you said Richard Panasini who's playing centre and Ethan Martin to get a double. I'm going to go Matt Kamalafe. Okay. Um and I'm going to say that it's going to be a 32 to 18 victory to the Eels. Um, 
you know, look, I think I think the spine will have a terrific match and be easy to go for one of them for best on field. I'm going to go for that, our, our man Nick Lanaz, to be best on field out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go for Buds Arthur to be first try score, a little sneaky dummy half play there to get get him across the line as the first try scorer. Okay, uh, John, can you now uh, lead us through the NRLW team list and we'll we'll take a preview of their game? Yeah, NRLW on the road this week. They're heading to the Central Coast to take on the Sydney Roosters. 1.50pm kickoff on Sunday uh, and they look like this. Abby Church at fullback, Zawi Fay and uh, Kimberly Hunt on the flanks, Lindsay Tui and Cassie Toihiku. Has to be the youngest centre pairing in the competition. I can't see anyone have anyone younger than mm. those two outstanding talents, both of them. Uh, in the halves, Berryman Duff and Pearson recombine or combine again, sorry. Uh, you've got Toisha O'Neill and Tyler Amiatu in the front row as the bookends. Ruben Cherrington is the dummy half packing in alongside him. Amelia Murphy, Mahalia Murphy, the uh, M&Ms there in the back row with Jade Fanua, uh on in the lock position, sorry. Uh, Capri Paykow, uh, Noria or Boss Kapua. Ruby Jean Kennard-Ellis and Maddie Jones round out the interchange. Davis Welsh, Simon, Todd Hunter, Donovan, and Muru are the extended roster options there. In the box is Todd Smith. Uh, with the main whistle is Darian Ferner. And yeah, they're taking on, <laughs> we mentioned their names before, but an absolutely stacked Roosters lineup. Yeah, it, it, it is a, a stacked Roosters lineup. Um, you know, the centres, geez, they speak for themselves. Taryn Aiken. Uh, she's been throwing some passes that NRL players, top flight NRL players, would be proud to pass. She's she is quite the the talent there at five eight. Um, I think you know the pack speaks for itself, and I've always been a massive fan of Millie Boyle. I think uh, yeah, she's she's an absolutely um, superstar middle forward so the the girls are going to be up against it this week but as we've said there's plenty of positives and I sense probably plenty of self-belief in the team how Clint how far can self-belief carry the eels in a match self-belief in sport can carry any team as far as they want they want it to you know um like the fact of the matter is when you're out there on the field and adrenaline takes over um you know and then sort of even if we move away from off the field, you know, there's plenty of um, anecdotal evidence um, across the globe of people doing miraculous things when adrenaline takes over. So, you know, um, it shouldn't be considered mission impossible, but it will be damn difficult for them. Um, but that's that, that, that's no reason to go into the game without um confidence because as our nrl side showed you know um if, if you play your own game and yeah you know the boys had the um the benefit of, of playing without pressure and you know, having one of those rare free shots at a side with nothing really on the line and and and, and the games um worked for them there's no reason that the nrlw side can't adopt the same mantra i mean um you know, you just got to um, win your little moments and win win your um, win the little battles and, and and let the war take care of itself. You know, we've got a fantastic um, um, halfback and Rachel Pearson who can kick for field position and and offset some of the the damage that the um, those roosters forwards will cause. And likewise, you know, we we've, we've got a couple of weapons of our own that if we use tactically, we can 
um, we can create problems for them ourselves. You know, um, I, I always look at, at, at games of rugby league. If, if you've got a halfback and some forwards that can help um, at the very least neutralize, if not swing the field position game in your favor, regardless of the, the rest of the quality of the side, um, you're always in with a fighting chance. And I kind of feel that that's the case for the girls this week. Yeah. Forty. a couple of things I want to throw to you before we get our tips. Um, first of all, we still saw the odd error there from the Eels that they really need to eliminate from their game. Um, how, First of all, how important is it going to be to eliminate those errors? And then secondly, what which matchups out there uh, are you most looking forward to watching? Well, just uh, quickly touch on the confidence thing first, uh, going back to that. You only need to look at the Newcastle Knights to see uh, how important mm. confidence is when it comes to uh, producing at any level but the NRL level. Um, and mm. obviously the 2009 Eels as well. Um, uh, but going back to what you're saying, 60s, um, what was your first question? Sorry, I, I know the matchups for the second uh, one. Just the, just the, the Eels have been, uh, you know, some of the basic errors that have cost them games already this year and they continue to be part of the in the team's dna um raised their head even last week in the win but they the eels had that resilience to defend when they made some errors last week um they really can't afford them this week against the roosters so and that that was going to be uh my sort of big point was minimizing those errors minimizing the uh the you know the flipping of field position of territory of uh, possession will be a huge component if the Eels are going to be competitive in this game. You cannot hand the Roosters, you cannot hand any team, but especially this Roosters team, freebies when it comes to attacking your goal line. And I know our girls have been very spirited in their goal line defense. What we saw against the uh, Cowboys on the weekend was fantastic on the goal line. They were throwing their bodies into everything, save the number of tries. The Roosters will be scoring more often than those opportunities if you do the same. Um, the, The Cowboys are a raw... Franchise uh, expansion franchise, sorry. The Roosters are a whirring machine right now, They're just loaded up with representative superstars. So do that, and you you put yourself at the starting line. I think after that, uh, it's going to be about how hungry they are. Um, I I think they're going to give themselves a very good chance on the weekend. I don't know if they're going to win just because of just how ridiculous that Roosters team is. But the Canberra Raiders got a good team. The Brisbane Broncos got a great team, and the Eels took it to both of them. Yeah, they lost, but they were right in it up to their eyeballs until the final whistle. So I, I think that they can absolutely be uh, in the fight here on the weekend. Um, but in order to do that, like you said, 60s, they've got to minimise those errors. And like you said, Quint, they've got to find a way to put their best players in a position to succeed. That means finding a way to get Toi Hiku, to get Abby Church, to get uh, obviously in backline positions to, to feature, but also putting Amiatu into positions to get downhill and generate second-phase play, which then unlocks Ruben Cherrington. You know, the, there is a cascading sequence of events that can happen the moment you get a player like Amiatu into the game. So getting getting yep. her firing is huge. Uh, you know, that gives Pearson the ability to operate on the front foot. That opens up your entire back line, opens up the run, the pass, and the kick, which we know Pearson can do very well. So that, that's where I'm looking at it. It's the same players we keep talking about. And we're talking about them for a reason. Um, they they are your future building stones, but they're also your cornerstone players right now to win. So getting them into the game plan uh, is the big part for me. Okay, so we're at the pointy end now, fellas. Um, John, first we'll start with you. Um, your match scoreline, your 
uh, first try scorer, best on field. Um, I I think the Roosters are probably going to be the winners here, but that wouldn't be a fun thing to tip. So I'll go for <laughs> the Eels to win in a high-scoring wheel and deal and uh, try scoring a fawn or try score a fawn, uh, 28 to 26. So uh, for us blokes with the nails uh, being bitten isn't a big deal. Okay, but for the girls who like their nails, you're going to need some nice uh, fake ones after this game. Uh, so Eels 28-26, first try scorer. Um, oh, uh, I'm going to go Cassie Taihiku. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she wasn't the try scorer, but the try creator. Um, I know it's a bit cheap to go for the, the budding superstar, but that's where I'm going. Um, and then best on field. Uh, I will go Tyler Amiatu. I, I think um, so much of this game starts and ends with how much she can dominate in the middle. Uh, and and if she can continue to free that arm to offload, because her with that offload just completely changes the game for Charrington, uh, and completely changes the game for Pearson as well. Yep, uh, sounds good, mate. Now, Clint, your takes. Uh, look, I, 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 although it's not fun, I uh, I do see it um, being a Roosters victory. It, it is as, as you gentlemen touched on, pretty much a rep level quality side there, and. I dare say some of the girls um, who played in that grand final qualifier and um, uh, were upset by the Eel squad, that there'd be a little bit of um, a, a get square mentality for some of them. And they won't, they certainly won't take um, uh, our girls easy, regardless of, of how the season to date's unfolded. Um, I, I see a big performance from Millie Boyle coming in and, and I've tipped her to be my player of the match and, um, you know, I, I expect it to be a contest with maybe the Roosters to break away um, late in the game and uh, uh, get a 32-16 victory. But it'll be a scoreline that won't tell the tale of the story, and I think it'll uh, I think it'll be another step forward for our goals, regardless. Um, Jeff Sturgis, I see, is my first try scorer. Okay, well, I'm I'm like 40. I could easily tip the Roosters, and probably should, but it's not much fun. So, <laughs> like, sorry for being the boring one, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thirty-two to thirty to the Eels, high, high scorer. Um, I'm going to go similar to. I'm going to keep a theme with the jersey flag and go for the dummy half to be our first try scorer in Ruben Cherrington and uh, best on field. Uh, I'm going to go Tyler Amiatu as well. Mm. So. There we go. Now, before we sign off, fellas, uh, just a bit of a rundown of the um, award winners as, they, as they've come through from the Eels for tonight's Ken Thornett medal. So we've got that uh, Gutho was the Blue and Gold Army NRL award winner. Junior Paulo, the Ray Price NRL Community Award winner. Um, the Jersey Flag Coaches Award, as we mentioned before, went to Brock Parker. Uh, there's Steve Ella. Jersey Flag Player of the Year Award to Nick Lenars. The Jeff Gerard New South Wales Cup Coaches Award uh, goes to Kai Rodwell. The New South Wales Cup Bob O'Reilly Player of the Year going to Luca Moretti. Um, the uh, Eric Groth Senior NRL Rookie of the Year Award. This is a bit of a surprise. Uh, Wira Greg. I didn't know he was still eligible. That's why I thought Brendan yeah, Hands was I a shoe-in. Uh, in that, oh, yeah, in that light, I thought Woody played too many games last year, which is why I never had him for consideration. Yeah, same here. I, I 
Yeah, I, I was thinking elsewhere. I thought uh, it was likely to be Brendan the, Hands. The uh, the Dowie M, the cutoff is five games in the previous five or less games in the previous season, right? Uh, something like I, that. I think yep. that's at least that's what it used to be. Woody played. He played nineteen. Played 19 first year. He played nineteen games from twenty one onwards. So where is rugby league project? Um, there he is. He played two one. Oh, he's only he only played three games prior to this year. Oh, there you go. I, I okay. did not have him down for that fewer games. So one in twenty twenty two, two in twenty twenty one. Okay, so the Jack Gibson NRL Coaches Award goes to Will Penasini. The Nathan Hindmarsh NRL Players Player Award goes to Gutho. And imagine imagine picking still... that that hobbling, you know, useless lump at fullback as your players player. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, fellas, we've just got word through on the winner of the Ken Thornet Medal. It probably doesn't come as any surprise that the winner is Clint Gutherson. It's been a big season for the King. Uh, shout out, as of course, as well to Jermaine Hopgood, who was very, very close, apparently, in the medal count. But yes, the King takes out the Ken Thornet medal for 2023, which I believe is his second Ken Thornet medal uh, during his time at the Eels. Very well deserved. Okay, fellas, so that brings us to the end of an ex- certainly an extended podcast, putting it all into into one podcast again. Uh, our thank you to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan, and Parramatta. Uh, thank you to everyone who's uh, tuned in to this. And please remember, if you're, if you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, give it a like, help us with the metrics that are there. Help us to build that up. We're going to build the content on the YouTube channel. We've got some uh, videos we've got uh, to add to that channel that will be coming up during this off-season slash pre-season. So stand by for that. And uh, John, Clint, thank you so much for another fine episode that you've provided this evening. And, uh, well, it'll be this morning for those people that are perhaps <laughs> listening to this. Uh, probably probably the afternoon by the time they're finished. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Very true. And uh, as I always say, go you mighty eels. <laughs>